Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, coming to you from the lands of the Gadigal people. This is ABC News Daily. In the past five years, Beijing's relationship with nations like Australia and the US has become increasingly strained and fractured, with President Xi Jinping turning to nations like Russia for support. Now, the Chinese leader is about to be endorsed for another unprecedented five-year term, the Communist Party's Congress that began on the weekend. Today, East Asia correspondent Bill Bertels on what that could mean for world order. Distinguished delegates, the 20th National Congress of the Communist Party of China now officially begins. Bill, the 20th Chinese Communist Party Congress has kicked off. It's a big deal, isn't it? Especially for President Xi Jinping. Yeah, Sam, it's kind of about setting China's goals for the next five years. The Mm. most immediate thing is you have this huge reshuffle of positions across the Chinese Communist Party, certainly the most powerful political party or political organisation in the world. And the most significant thing this year, of course, is that Xi Jinping would ordinarily, according to contemporary norms, be standing down after a decade in power, two five-year terms. Mm. But it looks incredibly likely, almost certain, that he's not going to stand down. We won't know that for sure until the final day of the Congress when the new top cabinet lineup walks out. But everybody expects that Xi Jinping will be the one walking out first and uh, continuing for at least another five years. So that in itself is a big deal, but also for China, a country or a government that is just obsessed with national goals and benchmarks. Uh, What we're also um, very keen to look at is what sort of uh, ambitions or targets the party is uh, looking at for the next five years. Okay, so he's cementing himself really as one of the most powerful leaders in the world for another five years. Bill, we had a look with you last week at what that means for China's dogged COVID zero policy that's really hanging on to. And it looks pretty clear that the government, the, the Communist Party, is likely to stick with that. Put the people and their lives above all else and tenaciously pursue a dynamic zero-COVID policy in launching an all-out people's war to stop the spread of the virus. But now I want to consider with you what this further five years in power means for China's relationship with the West. Because saying it's been strained in recent years would be somewhat of an understatement. Yeah, the Xi Jinping era, particularly the last five years, has really been defined on the foreign policy front by a huge deterioration in China's ties with the West, an increasingly close relationship with Vladimir Putin's Russia. Of course, Australians will uh, remember over the past few years 
that China really carried out a huge campaign against Australia, mm. economic coercion with bans on certain exports, which continue to this day. China has followed through on its threat to whack crippling tariffs on Australian barley, a move that will further inflame tensions between the two nations. A similar story for other commodities that have been hit with trade strikes by Beijing, such as coal, beef and wine. The jailing of two Australian citizens, they remain jailed. Whilst working in China has been detained by the Chinese government in a highly sensitive case posing a fresh challenge to Australia-China relations. Chung Lei is... A death sentence uh, for a convicted Australian drug smuggler uh, for a crime which usually wouldn't warrant a death sentence. And the reason that has been happening is because Australian, uh, the former Australian government took a range of measures that uh, Xi Jinping obviously believed hurt China's interests. Mm. And the current Australian government is maintaining those measures. Say is that while we've had a change of government, our national interests haven't changed and our approach to China hasn't changed. This is something where we've had a unified approach with the previous government on. So Australia is just one small example of the sort of shift in Chinese diplomacy But certainly in Beijing, the obsession is not with Australia, it's with the United States. Mm. And if you subscribe to, say, domestic Chinese news services, on a pretty much a daily basis, you just get headlines about how how terrible the United States is uh, or, or the United States once again is attacking China or smearing China or in one way or another unfairly hurting China's interests. That's the common perception that you get if you read enough Chinese news. Okay, so let's unpack that a little bit more, this sort of anti-West but really strong anti-American sentiment that comes out of China because I want to get an idea of how the Chinese Communist Party communicates that, how it gets it out. And we know, don't we, even though Twitter is banned in China, Twitter is a, a useful tool for this communication? Yes. So one of the things that has uh, happened in recent years is that Chinese diplomats have all flocked to Twitter, not all of them, but many of them have flocked to Twitter. Mm. And some of them are quite benign in their Twitter presence, just uh, posting uh, videos about how great China is. But others have taken it upon themselves to really get into fights and to um, basically say terrible things often about the United States, but sometimes about other Western countries. The poster boy for all this is Zhao Lijian. He started using Twitter prolifically. It raised his profile. The young nationalists in China loved him for it. And as a result, he's been promoted up the chain. He's now one of the spokespeople for the Chinese foreign ministry. Uh, He continues to use Twitter in a similar way. But basically, a lot of the high-profile Chinese diplomats followed his lead. Now, he was the guy who posted a doctored picture of an Australian soldier Mm. um, with a knife to an Afghan child. And even though he doesn't put it out on the domestic Chinese social media, it invariably gets recycled back into the Chinese system, so it gets circulated there as well. A mocked-up image of an Australian soldier holding a bloodied knife to the throat of an Afghan child, nursing a lamb. Don't be afraid, the soldier says. We are coming to bring you peace. China making its view known on the shame exposed by the explosive Breton report. 39 Afghans allegedly murdered by Australian special forces. In that tweet in 2020, it was pretty horrifying. Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister at the time, he was absolutely furious about it, wasn't he? He was. It is utterly outrageous and it cannot be justified on any basis whatsoever. 
The Chinese government should be totally ashamed of this post. Nationalists love this. It is like red meat to Chinese nationalists. So many other diplomats have jumped on Twitter and started doing similar things. And so this has been just one little aspect of how Xi Jinping has changed Chinese diplomacy. He's really, he's given a green light to the ultra-nationalists within the government to come out and just smash the US or smash US allies on a daily basis. And at its peak, when the COVID pandemic began in the Chinese city of Wuhan, Zhao Lijian and other professional diplomats started circulating conspiracy theories, both within Chinese social media and on Twitter, claiming that the US military cooked up this virus in a lab and brought it to China. And to this day, from time to time, they continue to, to spread around this sort of disinformation. Another example, the Chinese foreign ministry at one point cooked up a fabricated story about a couple of US diplomats in, a, in one of the consulates in China, supposedly making remarks at a forum saying they were supportive of China's repression policy against the Uyghur people. This never happened, but the Chinese foreign ministry, these professional diplomats, literally just made it up and put it into state media. Mm, so let's unpack this a bit further then, because it's all quite extreme. So what's going on here, Bill? Is it a coordinated strategy by the Communist Party? Is President Xi endorsing this? And what is the objective? President Xi definitely appears to be endorsing it because one of the earlier instructions he gave to diplomats was to show more fighting spirit. You have to remember in the later years of Donald Trump, there was a Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. Now, Pompeo was blatantly anti-Communist Party, and he would make these sort of statements as the Secretary of State. I've spoken about this at some length. The People's Republic of China represent an absolute existential threat to our country. And whether the virus that savaged the world came from... The now, that's America's chief diplomat. So you can argue, you can see from China's perspective, that they thought at the time America's chief diplomat was being incredibly unprofessional and saying very provocative things about the ruling party of China. But as a result, you'd go to these press conferences and there, were, there was always a Dorothy Dixer question at the start from a Chinese government journalist. You know, what do you think of, uh, you know, the US record on human rights? And the spokesperson would just launch into like a 10-minute tirade about how awful and how divided and how brutal the US is. Black lives matter. Their human rights need to be guaranteed. Racial discrimination against minorities is chronic sickness in American society. The current situation shows the severity of racial discrimination and police violence there, as well as the urgent need to resolve these issues. So that gives you an idea of how focused the Chinese government is on its competition with America. Every other country really is just some sort of a pawn caught up in that competition. Mm, and I gather now it looks uh, likely that he will secure a third term, another five years in power. President Xi won't be backing away from, from this approach. No, because he does appear to be a true believer in nationalist Marxism, mm. this very sort of heavily ideological worldview that the rise of China is inevitable and that the United States and the West is inevitably declining, then why would he change direction? Uh, he's pretty much closed the country off with uh, COVID. He's made the country more nationalist. He would look at that as cultural confidence. 
uh, particularly the young generation in China now, university age, uh, early 20s, uh, there is a real wave of nationalism and patriotism sweeping the country. So why on earth would he want to change any of that? Bill Bertels is the ABC's East Asia correspondent. If you want to hear why President Xi is still enforcing strict lockdowns, we covered that last Thursday. That's in your feed. This episode was produced by Flint Duxfield, Sydney Peed and Chris Dengate, who also did the mix. Our supervising producer is Stephen Smiley. I'm Sam Hawley. ABC News Daily will be back again tomorrow. You can find all our episodes of the podcast on the ABC Listen app. To get in touch with the team, email us on abcnewsdaily at abc.net.au. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.